Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 39 with professional ski mountaineer, adventurer, and outdoor activist, Caroline Gleick. This episode was brought to you by Keen. On all my greatest wild adventures, I've had a pair of Keens with me. I wore them when I stand up paddled down a portion of the Peruvian Amazon River, when I went tubing through the glowworm caves in New Zealand, and even trekking through the rainforest of Costa Rica. Keen's most known for their Newport sandal. They're made to go in water and on land, but right now they also have some amazing new styles I'm especially excited about. The Terradora collection, for example, was designed specifically for the unique biomechanics of a woman's foot and stride. It was designed so you could trek all through Yosemite or any great hiking destination, and so you could wear them through the city streets, on the beach, and they're stylish enough to wear out after with leggings or jeans. Best of all, Keen is a family-owned company. They're out of Portland, Oregon. They're committed to not only protect the places we play outside, but they also provide numerous grants to causes and difference makers who share their ambitious goals. They support some kick-ass ambassadors as well. You can check them out at keenfootwear.com. That's K-E-E-N footwear.com for more. This episode was also brought to you by HDX Hydration Mix. Like you, I'm an active person. I love sports drinks, but many of them have a lot of weird stuff inside of them. That's why I like HDX Mix. Not only do they use stevia and natural sweeteners, but there's no caffeine, no junk, and it has all the electrolytes, vitamins, amino acids, and minerals to stay hydrated and going all day long, whether you're surfing, running, or even producing podcast episodes. There's only one flavor, it's berry, and it tastes amazing. Besides being low in sugar, it comes in a tiny pouch, not a plastic bottle. So all you have to do is add it to your own water and your own reusable bottle, minimizing your impact and not adding to plastic pollution. You can even stuff it in your pocket or in your wetsuit during long surf trips or run. It's super easy to carry. It's lightweight. It's the healthy, eco-friendly hydration drink. You can check them out at hdxmix.com. That's H as in happy. D as in delightful, X as in x-ray, mix.com. Caroline Gleick is a professional ski mountaineer and adventurer based in Salt Lake City, Utah. She's been on the cover of magazines like Powder, Backcountry, Ski Magazines, and tons of ski films. I even recently wrote about her in Outside Magazine. She's also an ambassador for brands like Keen and Patagonia, and she's used her voice as an athlete to advocate for social and environmental justice, working on issues like climate change, clean air, and even cyber harassment. She works with nonprofits like Protect Our Winters and so many more. For the last five years, she attempted and accomplished skiing all 90 lines listed in Andrew McLean's The Shooting Gallery, which is a ski climbing guidebook for Utah's famous Wasatch Mountain Range. It's always fun to say that word. She just finished in April. Caroline and I talk about getting over fear, living wildly, climbing mountains, the lows that come after achieving great feats, and how you can train to pursue your next adventure. 
I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, so today we have on Caroline Gleick, a professional ski mountaineer and adventurer. Caroline, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm you, excited to chat with you. Can you describe just what it means to be a professional mountaineer and adventurer and what that looks like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of different disciplines of skiing and climbing. And so what I specialize in, it's like a tiny niche of all these sports, really. And ski mountaineering is climbing up the mountains to ski down them. And so I typically go to places where there are not chairlifts, where there's like not a ton of infrastructure. And I mean, my favorite thing to do is to climb up the mountain and ski down it. And so that sometimes involves, sometimes it's just breaking trail through powder and there's a lot of avalanche forecasting skills that go into that. And then sometimes it requires more technical climbing and mountaineering or glacier travel. And so I just love it because you get to bring in all these different skills. And then being able to ski down is like the greatest freedom. That sounds so fun and so terrifying at the same time. How long is a typical hike that you do? Well, there's everything from objectives that maybe take two like an hour or two. I mean, there's not a lot you can do in an hour. Probably like the minimum is two or three hours. And then, I mean, I've had days that I've been out for 20 hours or um, some of the objectives will take like two days of walking just to get to the base of the mountain. And so there's a whole range of, just depends on how long you want to go and how far away the mountain is. That's awesome. And do you have a pl- favorite place you do this activity? I mean, I know you live in in Salt Lake City, so I'm guessing your backyard. Yeah, well, I love the access and the snow in the Wasatch. And for a day-to-day, like, mountain range and um, to carry out a lot of my training, the mountains in Utah, the Wasatch Range, um, they're just the ones right outside Salt Lake City. They are really hard to beat, but I always feel that my favorite place is like the place I haven't been yet because I get really fired up about my next adventure and you know there's something about mountaineering that kind of taps into this like human desire that we all have to explore wild places Mm. and so I love just dreaming about my next expedition and then like planning that and I get really excited and I get really wrapped up in the planning and and working out all the logistics and stuff. So I might be jumping ahead but where is that next destination that's on your radar? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm still, I'm looking at maybe going to South America or back to New Zealand this fall. So oh. maybe Patagonia or New Zealand. Yeah, I've spent we'll a lot. See. I've spent a lot of time in New Zealand, so I've got some some experience there. But both sound magical. So you're you're five foot tall. I had no idea because I've actually met you, and you seem so much grander and stature than five foot and you're a female in this male dominated sport and I think of mountaineers as these big burly men you know what's it like being a female well yeah I mean a lot of people don't know that that I'm so short and it's like I guess something that I was probably really self-conscious about when I was growing up because I would go to summer camp and kids would cheese me and call me little shrimp and (laughs) and it's kind of like a chip on my shoulder, I guess. You know, it's something that that uh, I've worked hard to overcome in my own mind, like, and to not view it as a challenge, but to view it as my strength. Because, 
I mean, it's definitely like can be very difficult for me to find mountaineering gear that fits. And then it's just like hard to keep up sometimes when the pack packs are really heavy. Like I've had to train really hard to be able to carry a heavy backpack for a long way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it just adds another challenge for sure. But I think that it also gives me my a, a great strength in the fact that being Lord of the ground, I feel that I'm able to move with more confidence in steeper exposed terrain, like with I have better movement in that kind of terrain than someone who's a lot taller because I'm lower to the ground. So it's also a great asset for me in my career as well. And so I try like not to let it get to me and, and, uh, and I try not to let those, you know, it's like working with companies and working with brands. Uh, a lot of times people like they, they won't have a ski in your size or the outerwear samples, like, don't come small enough. Although Patagonia has been really good. They've actually been able now to order me samples in extra small, which is amazing. But uh, for the first couple of years, they'd only sample in a size medium. And so they'd be like, you're, you're too small for the sample. And it's just hard to hear that sometimes because you can get it in your head like, I'm too small. And then it becomes like something. It's just not always a great story to tell yourself over and over. Yeah, but you've accomplished so, so much already. It's just like the part of being a woman or being a small person. Like you understand, you accept those things, and then you try not to let that story define you. Yeah, and so are you? Are you climbing mostly with men? Yeah, I mean, most of my partners are men, but I, I actually, I would say it's probably like thirty percent women and seventy percent men. Awesome. And I'm always actively trying to recruit new female partners because there's something so special about having a long day, doing something really hard and technical with another woman. And it's, yeah, I'm always trying to, to find more and more women partners. So first, how did you get into this sport and activity? Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in Minnesota, I actually never skied competitively. I dabbled in ice hockey when I was a kid and I have three brothers and then I have also three older half siblings. And so I was always just trying to keep up with the bigger kids. And the one thing my family would do is we'd uh, twice a year, we'd take a trip from Minnesota out west. And in the winter, we usually go skiing in Utah because we had extended family there. And then in the summer, we'd do a backpacking trip. And on those backpacking trips, we traveled through some of the most iconic alpine mountain ranges in the west. We went to the Wind River Range in Wyoming, the Sawtooth in Idaho, the San Juans in Colorado. And I think that seeing those big mountains, these beautiful rocky peaks through the eyes of like a adolescent Midwesterner, I was just like, I want to climb those mountains. I don't know where I got it, but I just had this desire from the minute that I saw them. You've done so many mountains. I know you just finished skiing the 90 lines of the shooting gallery. And I know you've talked extensively about that, but I want to know, what do you do to train for these big mountaineering expeditions you do not these two-hour hikes but the ones where you know you you really have to pretty much be on the mountain all day so I spent a lot of years putting in a lot of effort to make a solid base and what I mean by that is like being comfortable moving for 12 or 14 hours on your feet through the mountains covering a lot of terrain and so once or twice a week, I try to get out for a longer day where I do a lot of mileage and a lot of elevation gain. And then sometimes 
I used to do those with a heavy weighted pack as well, where I'd fill it up with water jugs and try to carry like 40 pounds of weight in the off season. So I do that. And then, I mean, there's a ton of like technical training as well that goes into this. So there's avalanche education and then learning about like rock climbing and rope work and vertical, uh, vertical rescues with ropes. Like, so you understand how the rope systems work. So there's that side of things. And then, I mean, so it's like some days I rock climb, some days I road bike, some days I run. And it's just kind of now at this point, now that I've spent like years putting in that base and I feel really confident doing long days on my feet. Now it's more like specific training stuff that I'm doing. And this summer I'm working on getting faster. And so I'm training to run an ultra marathon. Wow. So like, what's your yeah. mileage like right now? Well, I, I did a marathon two weeks ago, a long, a, a really hard marathon actually that has, it was like high altitude and it had a lot of elevation gain. And so I'm still kind of in a little bit of a phase of like uh, recovering from that. So I'm on the road like until my legs feel a hundred percent. And then, so I'll do like, you know, a couple, two or three hour rides. I try to do something every day, like at least an hour workout, whether it's a run or a road bike ride. And then I do some interval training. So my weekdays are like these shorter workouts that are an hour to three hours, let's say, that are either like a tempo run or an interval workout where I'll run up a hill for a minute as fast as I can do that 10 times. And then on the weekends, I try to get out for a longer objective, whether it's a longer day in the saddle on the road bike or a longer run, like, you know, 10 or 20 or 25 miles. What are some of the tools that you've used to become so successful? Like, is it hiring coaches? Is it the way you eat? Is it how you sleep? Is it just mental outlook? Like, what are some of your tactics that have really helped you, one, stay healthy, and two, be able to to kind of do what you do on a professional level? Uh, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I think there's a, a couple of different things. So, when I first started and I was like, so I graduated from high school, I was like this kid from the Midwest and I just moved out to Utah. I didn't really, I wasn't that great of a skier and I had, but I had this dream of becoming a professional ski mountaineer. And so even though I didn't have a ski coach, my parents hired um, this uh, professional skier, like she was a retired professional skier to mentor me for a few sessions. And so her name's Kristen Ulmer. She just wrote a really good book actually called the, uh, the art of fear. And it's about managing fear mm. and, um, dealing with that but so she like sat down and kind of taught me a little bit about like how to run a business but one of the most valuable things that she made me do is to write out a goal sheet she's like one year goal five-year goal and ten-year goals and so by breaking it down in that way and having that goal sheet it really helped me like focus on what is this vision that I'm trying to create and I mean that is was such a good exercise to do for anyone who has a wild idea or who wants to undertake a big project is like to commit that goal into writing, you know, and to put like copies of that even like around places because I had to sacrifice a lot of things like to make my dream come true. And it's like hard when day-to-day -day decisions come up that you're like, Oh, I don't know how to prioritize things. And like, I mean, I definitely put my career before a lot of other things. And there's part of me that, like, is sad about maybe, like, friendships that drifted apart because I was so focused on skiing. But on the other hand, I mean, 
I'm sure that there's people that can manage both and that don't have to make those sacrifices. But for me personally, like I found I had to sacrifice a lot of things and make sure I put that dream as like a big priority in my life. So how old were you when you wrote those goals down? I was 18 when I wrote those goals wow. down. And you're 30 now? Yeah. 31, yeah. 31. So how have those goals shifted? Well, I need to do, I mean, most of them I've accomplished. Like some of them, they, like when I first started, I wanted to do everything with skiing and I wanted to do like flips and 360s off cliffs. And as I got more into the swing of things, like some of those goals kind of like fade as other ones. Like I did try to learn all that stuff, but it was just not my calling. Like I'm not great in the air. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm like better at as a climber. Like that's where I excel in the mountains. And so, um, they kind of like evolve a bit, but I, I need to sit back down and write my next like 10 years because a lot I've accomplished most of most of them, which is really cool. And it's really satisfying to see. That is really satisfying. And just to be 18 and to think 10 years out is really impressive. My 18 year old self could not have thought 10 years out. Um, you know, whenever I talk to professional athletes who do these crazy expeditions and challenges, a lot of them come back after achieving a huge goal and there's like this kind of depression. Did that happen to you at all? Or does that ever happen to you when you come off of an amazing achievement? Yeah. I mean, that happens to me like every single time I come home from a trip, whether it's just like, whether it's a weekend work or a week work trip, I'm going to meet with some of my sponsors at their brand headquarters or whether it's like a three week long expedition. Like I always get that like post vacation or post project blues because I think for a few reasons, like for one, there's a ton of adrenaline that goes in to traveling or like achieving a big goal or having a big project. And so that kind of adrenaline and the endorphins and all that stuff that really fuels you. And I'm like the kind of person where I get so stoked. Like I just am like talking about everything. <laughs> And uh, I have high highs, but then I also really struggle with low lows. And it's hard to come home. And for me, one of the biggest challenges is that I live alone and I work most of the time by myself. And a lot of my job, like people don't realize that I have to spend a ton of time on the computer doing emails and writing trip proposals and communicating with like hundreds of people. I mean, actually hundreds of thousands of people, if you include all the fans and followers on social media. It's like crazy the kind of networks that we have to keep going, you know, and keep in, in contact with. And so to be like so connected with people in real life when you're out in the mountains or when you're on a trip, like you're in the flesh with other people and you're sharing this experience and it's so bonding. And then you come home and it's like, I have all this work to do, all photo editing, and I'm just like alone in my pain cave of an office. And to me, like that's way harder than being in the mountains for a 12-hour day. Like, that's way harder than climbing the mountain. I'm <laughs> like, everything I do at home is so I can climb the mountain. I'm so glad you shared that. Like, I think a lot of people are going to relate to that. I do. I mean, I podcast and sit in front of a computer so I can go on these crazy adventures, and then I come home and I'm alone on my computer. But yes, communicating with all sorts of people. So that's part of living wildly. What what sort of tactics do you use when you come home and you're in this pain cave? Like, do you meditate? Do you, do you stand in front of the mirror and say, come on, Caroline, you got this? Or just watch a lot of Saturday Night Live. Like, what, what are some of your 
your coping mechanisms, I guess, to kind of come back from these lows. Yeah. And I'm still working on that. I mean, there's a lot of different things. I recently started meditating. Um, I try to do 10 minutes at least a day. And that's been really helpful for me to just kind of like learn how to let things go and not get super stressed and caught up in like that, that depression and that anxiety. Because like when you have those lows, you kind of worry that they're not going to stop, like that it's not going to get better. And you have to realize that being sad at one moment doesn't define you as a person. And so I meditate like with this app called Headspace. Like it's just one thing I found when I searched, like they're not paying me to say anything and I don't get any sort of like compensation from them. Um, I just like what I found when I did a quick search about it. And at first it was hard for me to get into it. Like the first couple of times I did it, but now I've been, I mean, I just find that I'm so much, not necessarily happier because I'm generally a pretty happy person, even though I have these low lows, but I just find I'm a little bit more even keel and I don't get wrapped up in the feelings of anxiety or depression as much. Like I'm able to identify them, but then move past them and not like let them cling, like not cling to them as my identity. Um, So that's really helpful. And then I think that one of the parts of coming home from a trip and just kind of living in the American West, like where I live in Salt Lake City, Utah, it's kind of suburban. And our, the way our modern cities and communities are structured, at least in a lot of places I've lived, it's really isolating. It feels really lonely and isolating. And so, like, sometimes if I need a little bit of a break, I just go outside from my house and take a walk around the neighborhood or go for a run around the neighborhood. And it's really important, I think, to do these walks around the neighborhood because then you feel more connected to people and to the community and you see other people out walking their dogs. And it just, for me, it reminds me that there's like other humans that are not far away. So that's like a silly little thing that I do. And then it's like, you were saying like, do you watch Saturday Night Live? And if I'm like really, really trained from something, there's definitely like full entire days where I'll spend like 12 hours just laying on the couch. If that's what my body really needs. Because it's super important to take that time to rest and recover. And I think that's something, it's like not fun to talk about and it's not sexy to show on social media. And it's like, there's always this pressure and this feeling like you got to do more, you got to do more. Like you're so like feeling lazy is like, it's so socially, like it's not something that feels socially acceptable. But I definitely have become a lot better at doing the lazy days when I need them. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, like, what do you do keep from being injured or I mean I imagine you must get injured all athletes do I mean knock on wood like I've been pretty lucky in my career I'm also like I mean just kind of what I've picked for my career like I like to do things that reward conservative decision making and I know that sounds weird like with mountaineering but if the mountain isn't in the right condition or if I'm not feeling it on that day like I have no problem turning around and I've done that a ton. Like I do that all the time because if your body's not feeling good and your mind's not in the right place, like it's not good to push it in big mountains where the consequences are incredibly severe. And so that's one thing is just like being really self-aware and trying to listen to my mind and body and making sure that like I almost hold myself back. I hold myself back a lot actually physically so that when I have those days in the mountains, I'm really hungry for them. Mm, that's that's and, good advice. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm not like trying to spend my hardest every day. Instead, I try to think in like, you know, a couple of months intervals and have like these bigger things that I want to do. But you can't do like the biggest thing of your life, like every single weekend. It's just simply not sustainable. So you kind of think of it as like you have these rising moments and then you have a little bit of a, a peak and then you let yourself like you kind of take it down a notch, you know, like if you just ran like 60 miles one week, then maybe the next couple of weeks you do like 20 miles and then you can rise up again. And so to think of it as like these crescendos and then you kind of go a little softer and um, there's a lot of great information too on the internet about training specifically like for people that want to run ultra marathons in the mountains. And so I've been just following these plans, like loosely following them that are online that give you like day by day, week by week workouts. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Actually. They wait, work really well. Wait, what are you, what are you looking at? Like what are some good sites that we should check out? I literally just type in on Google, like 50, like my first goal was to do a 50 K and then, I ran this marathon, which was like way harder than running a 50K. And so now I'm training to run a 50 miler. But like whether you're training for a marathon or for a 50K or a 50 miler, you just type in like 50 mile running training plan. Google. It's and so then great. I, I just Google and then I look at a couple different ones and then I just get an idea in my head and I just like roughly follow it. And I also with that plan, I make sure to check in with how I feel and like, don't let the plan override any sort of injury or like, like if there's a little nagging little thing, like I make sure to rest that before I, before I like do a big run again. So it's just a really fine line and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of self-awareness. And then the other huge thing that I do is I get a massage every week. Like I have the most badass massage therapist in Salt Lake and she does, her name is Jessa Munyan and she has this company called Rocksteady Body Work. She also does yoga instruction, but um, she does this like structural integration kind of massage where she reworks the fascia like deep. And having someone like that, that can kind of, it's like literally when I'm done, I feel like I have the body of a child. Like it's amazing what it does for my joints and for my movement. And then the other really important thing is that I try to go to yoga at least once a week. And then I also do like a couple of short yoga workouts on YouTube at home. Mm. And so yoga is really, really important because the reason is, is that a lot of injuries just come from like stiffness and not having mobility in your joints. So it's like before you can gain strength, before you can gain endurance or anything, you have to be able to move. Movement is like to be able to move your joints to the full range of motion. And what I love about yoga is that it just keeps your body mobile, like very simply. And it's an easy way to just like, it's just stretching really. Like, I mean, I love the like meditation and mindfulness aspects of it too, but on a very like basic physiological level, it just keeps your joints, your body and everything moving. I'm a huge yoga fan. You know, you, you do everything at such a high level. How do you also train your mind and in, in this high level. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And the mindfulness or mind training, like with the meditation and stuff, like that is just something that I'm only beginning to discover and to learn about. And so I just, I'm fascinated by, I read a ton of books 
that are pretty nerdy, that are like social behavioral science or like psychology or that are just about what you're talking about. Like, well, they give you a lot of cues like in social settings, but then like also on a personal level. And so, yeah, I just think it's one of those things you have to work at. Just like you train your body, like with the meditation and the yoga or however you want to do it. It's something that you need to work on because it's not something that we're ever taught. Yeah. So important for performance. Yeah. So um, that's what I was going to say. No, that's good. And one thing I meant to ask is not only do you train at a high level and, you know, do things at a high level and literally climb high mountains, but you put yourself out there, you know, through social media with what you really believe. And I know you've spoken out a lot about conservation. Can you just talk a little bit about this and, and what it takes to put yourself out there and what that process has been like, the good and the bad on social media? Yeah. I mean, it's been a really interesting, it's been really interesting to see over the past like five to 10 years, really how social media has evolved. And one of the things about me as a person is that I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. And I'm really honest, like almost to the point of I can be offensive to people. <laughs> like, but it's a real strength that I have as a mountaineer because in order to be successful in these partnerships in the mountains, you have to be willing to make yourself vulnerable to a shared experience and a shared goal. And so I think that this, like, I have this way of being vulnerable in the mountains. And then, I mean, it's harder in my day-to-day relationships. It's definitely something that I struggle with. But on social media, like, I always want to push myself to try to like speak more truth and to make it more of an honest representation of who I am. And so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like something where I've been an activist. Like I think the activism stuff, speaking up for the environment, it can actually be really scary to like take a stand on an issue and to talk about climate change, especially right now in today's political climate. I mean, I think when I first started getting into it, I was a little bit naive about how gnarly it could become <laughs> because the, the rhetoric around it now is just people are so divided and it makes me sad to see like how people are willing to speak to one another online. Mm. So, um, I mean, there's like, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I think that it's such a powerful way that we can speak up about these issues and like to try to speak truth and to bring people together. But it also, it also like making yourself vulnerable in that way has like a lot of unintended like negativity. So, yeah. How do you deal with it? <laughs> yeah. And I know you've gotten, you've had like a cyber stalker and you dealt with that. And I mean, you've done a lot. How do you deal with fear? Like fear, not just of climbing a mountain, but well, yeah. I mean, I read that, was it your half brother or brother who passed away in an avalanche accident? Yeah, when I was 15, my half brother was killed in an avalanche. God, I'm sorry. And that was before, yeah, I was a backcountry skier. Um, and I mean, it was really hard for me to get into backcountry skiing after that. Like, it was something that I knew I wanted to do, but I was just really conservative and slow in how I got into it and how, like, when I decided to push myself. I mean, in retrospect, like, sometimes I wish I would have pushed myself, like, more sooner. But on the other hand, I think it's good to be cautious and to take those steps slowly and to take time to get educated. Um, Yeah, so I guess, like, dealing with that fear is, like, 
I kind of am like a super anxious person and I come from like my mom is she would not let me like jump on a trampoline when I was growing up like <laughs> she was ultra conservative as a mom in terms of like what she would let me do physically because of the same fear that I have now and it's just funny because like she's terrified of chairlift and I like I do this stuff and she like doesn't even want to look at it but um I think that what I'm getting down to is the point that I'm a terrified person. Like in my core, like what I do, sometimes I look at what I did and I'm like, I don't even know how I did that. Like that seems like a different person. I was having the out of body experience. And I think that it's okay to be extremely terrified of something and to do it anyway. It's like, that's just the simplest way I can explain it is that I, even like some days before I go up the mountain, I'll have like diarrhea because I'm so scared. Like, <laughs> I will be physically ill out of fear and like this emotional response and I'll go out and it's like I'm just going to take it one step at a time see what the mountain like if I see some obvious red flags or something comes up like I can turn around it seems like a good day like I'm terrified but I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and that's all you I mean that's my best advice is like to listen to that fear and like give it a seat at the table and be like, hey, fear, like, what are you saying to me? Like, maybe there's a reason I need to listen to it right now. Make sure that it's not like a life threat. And then, you know, once you've like ascertained that, then be like, okay, like, we're going to listen to someone else talk now. Like, we're going to listen to bravery, you know, kind of like that Disney movie, Inside Out. I love that movie. This is great advice. <laughs> I love that movie, too. Yeah. So, Caroline, you said as, as a little girl, I'm sure you, you were also small. I always ask all my guests this questions. What advice would you give to your 15 year old self? It's such a vulnerable time as a, as a kid, you're either a freshman or sophomore in high school and there's so much going on. So if you could go back and tell your 15 year old self one piece of advice, what would you tell her? I would tell her that she really needs to believe in herself. And um, like, you know, when you're that age, you feel like you have no power to change your life or to like do these things that you want to do. But I think you do. It's like you're, it's like the same at any age. Like you always want someone to like take you along so you don't have to do all the work yourself. Like at every age, like, I mean, I would really like a mentor in the mountains. And when I've had mentors or like when I have a person like that come into my life, it's always great. But I would tell myself like, you need to be your own mentor. And like, you need to trust that you can lead yourself to do these big goals that you've always had that's so like, cool I still had those same dreams yeah I just didn't think I could accomplish them it took me a long time to just have that that belief in myself I was just going to ask you who who inspires you oh man I like am inspired by everybody <laughs> whether it's like the person who's running the 5k for their first time or like I mean, there's so many amazing athletes and people on Instagram and on social media. And I mean, that's just the hard. There's like, my list is a million miles long of people who inspire me because I'm really inspired by like, you know, people that have overcome whatever adversity it is. Like we all have these challenges and, and it's like, I think that mine are hard, but I know some people have way, way, way harder challenges. Like, and they still make an effort to like get into the outdoors and or whatever it is, just like anyone who's willing to face their fear and like take sleep. Are there any books that you give a lot or have read that really shaped you? 
yeah, there I I am always lately I've been listening to audiobooks on my runs because I'm doing like these longer runs and so that's been a really fun way to kind of keep learning about different things while I'm running. Um and so this one that I'm listening to right now is called it's actually really interesting. It's called The Like Switch and it's about how you can it's about how to make people like you, but it's written, which sounds really vain, but it's really not. It's written by this FBI agent who is, and he talks about how to like interpret verbal and nonverbal cues to see how you're building rapport with people. Mm. And so I find these kind of books like really fascinating. And those definitely have had a big, like books like Blink and Malcolm Gladwell books and Freakonomics. Like I love those kind of nerdy social behavioral science books because they just give a lot of insight into why we are the way we are as humans and like how we can maximize efficiency and just maximize the experience of being a human, I guess. So I'm really inspired by those. And then when I first came on to Patagonia as a Patagonia ambassador in 2010, they gave us a copy of Yvonne Chouinard's book, Let My People Go Surfing. And so that's like required reading. And so that book definitely had a big impact on my life and especially my business and my work because there's just so much good stuff about like his business philosophy and how he started the brand. And I think it really spreads into tons of other aspects of life as well. Yvonne Chouinard's a badass. I agree. That's a great book. Is there any yeah. gear that you, you know, you travel all the time is there is there any gear that you just always have to have with you at all times or you you try to take I mean yeah like I'm kind of a, I kind of am a little bit I like my little comfort items so I always take a little down travel pillow with me so I can sleep comfortably wherever I am and I bring like an eye mask and earplugs so that I can create a, a very like soothing and uh, quiet and dark sleeping environment wherever I am like sleep is super important um I bring like wireless earbuds so to listen to my audiobooks or my meditation or listen to some music like music can really help me calm down or just like get into a better headspace if I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed or exhausted uh those things are all extremely important to me um yeah and then I'm trying to think beyond that I mean I often bring my yoga mat, a travel yoga mat with me so I can spread it out where I go. And then I try to bring my skis with me as much as possible so if there's ever an opportunity where I can ski, but that's not really a easy item to travel with. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm looking at, my, we have, we're going on a surf trip tomorrow and there's a board packed with like pillow, eye mask, earplugs, and just so much gear that we probably, and like food. Because we're going to be in a third world country and we just don't know what we're going to get um, besides coconuts, which are oh, fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like to bring like cliff bars with me in my purse so that if I'm ever like too late or without food because no one wants to be hangry. I used to bring my skateboard a lot with me when I would be traveling to cities for different like, you know, if I have to go into, I mean, like sometimes different appearances or different events. And so sometimes having the skateboard is a really fun way to explore a city. But lately I've been renting those bikes that they have, like, so you can get oh, around yeah. the city by bike. Those are great. Yeah, so that's really fun. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that always comes with me is, like, lip balm, because I always have chapped lips. <laughs> 
skier, classic. What advice can you give to people who just want to live more wildly? They either want to quit their jobs, they want to go on a, a different adventure, they want to get into mountaineering. You know, you've done a lot of wild things in your, your life, Caroline. Is there any advice you can give to people listening right now? Yeah, I would say, for one, like, you have to let go of what other people have, what other people's expectations for you are. Because I think a lot of the reasons that we don't do the things we really want is because, like, we think our family wouldn't accept us, or we think our partner, or, like, we worry too much about, like, what other people would think about it. And at the end of the day, it's like the only person, it sounds horrible, but the only person that you need to focus on making happy is yourself. Like once you take care of yourself, you can take care of those other people a lot more. I would say that. And then, I mean, if there's like a major like mental block, like to kind of identify that and then clear it, like to overcome those blocks. Because a lot of times we have these like stories in our head, like, oh, I can't do that because of this. And it's like, you have this story and to then just like call that out for the, for the fable that it is, because it's just a story that you made up. And so once you kind of like get that, get past that mental barrier, and there's probably going to be a lot of mental barriers along the way. So to have a way of kind of clearing those roadblocks that you have in your head, that's another good thing. And then, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, like you can do all the packing and preparation, but at a certain point, you got to just go for and like YOLO so don't worry too much and like at uh, like you'll make mistakes along the way and and just just at a certain point you got to just dive in after you do the prep work wow I think I kind of want to end it there YOLO I love that well Caroline thank you so much for coming on Wild Ideas Worth Living and sharing your ideas where can people find out more you can follow along on my Instagram it's um, at find Caroline Gleich, G-L-E-I-C-H. It's a very tricky last name. Uh, I update my Facebook and Twitter. They have the same handles. And then my website, carolinegleich.com. And if you want to see more about my training and workouts, I, I keep a pretty, I get pretty much log everything onto Strava. You can follow me on Strava as well. It's kind of a fun way to, to share that stuff, that side of, that side of things. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll Thanks be so much for having me. Of it's course. Great catching up with you. We're looking forward to seeing you go off to either New Zealand or Chile. Yeah, stay tuned later this fall. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you, Caroline, for sharing all your wild ideas with us. And thank you to Keen for sponsoring the show and introducing us to each other. Caroline's actually working on a movie with REI. It's called Follow Through. It comes out October, so look for that. We'll put links on where to find the book she recommended in the show notes, as well as her website, so you can learn more about Caroline. Thank you again for listening to this show. Thank you for subscribing and sharing it with friends. Wherever you are in the world, don't forget, some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week.